You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome, Michelle, to another episode of Lead to Soar. I'm so glad to be here. Very nice to be here too, Mel. It's a good one today. I say that every time, like, oh, this is a good one. Here I go again. <laughs> this is a really good one. Yeah, it is. And I could have sworn that we covered this topic and I went back to look and I didn't see it. So we've been noodling on it for quite a while. We're here today to talk about the glass cliff. We are indeed. And I think you and I have talked about this a lot because we see lots of evidence of it. So let's get into it because it's, well, for me, I find it very topical this particular week that we're recording because there's been a major glass cliff appointment, which I'm, I'm keen to explore. Okay, let's start at the beginning. We're pretty familiar with the idea of the glass ceiling. So the glass ceiling is this concept that women hit an invisible ceiling in their ability to advance in their career. And I think it probably had an influence on the title of Susan's book, No Ceiling, No Walls. But we're talking about the glass cliff today. So give us an understanding of what does that mean? What does it mean? What does it look like? So the glass cliff is research backed. So it's not just one of these the zeitgeist that forms, but so the glass cliff was a term that was developed by some researchers back in, in 2005, Michelle Ryan and Alex Haslam. And it describes the phenomenon or tendency where women do attain a very senior leadership position, often the CEO, when there's a real challenge or there's a real risk. Or as we said off air, there's a bit of a dumpster fire going on. So it's essentially when the company is in strife, it's in trouble, and they go, oh, my God, we need someone to fix this up. Let's give this job to a woman. Appointments like this that might bring this to reality for our listeners is when Theresa May was appointed as the Prime Minister of Britain, she inherited the Brexit situation, talk about politics, but that was a classic glass cliff. She was in a no-win position. And the rationale or the research behind it says that it's an extension of the glass ceiling, i.e. you wouldn't have got this job otherwise, but we're in a bit of strife, so hey, let's get you in here. And the mindset that leads to it is, well, we've got nothing to lose, so we might as well put her in and see how she goes. It's the crucible role. Well, if you can do this, you can do anything kind of thing. But of course, it's called the glass cliff because, my goodness, one little puff of wind and you're going to topple off the edge of this, of this cliff. So that's what the glass cliff is all about. And I first heard about the Glass Cliff from the Freakonomics podcast. There was an episode quite a while ago where they began exploring it. But some more recent writing on this kind of parsed out something that hadn't occurred to me before, a nuance in the situation around the context. So basically, this is really prevalent when the history of the company has had mostly male leadership. It's almost like that situation creates this kind of bias where if things are going well, things are going well, there's this 
general sense of, well, things are going well, we don't need to change anything. But then once things are falling apart, then people might be open to the idea of changing things, i.e. putting a woman in a high-level leadership position. So, Michelle, talk to us about why this is problematic for women's advancement in general. We've talked about how we create succession plans and how some really good ways to do that. And one of the things that I really want leaders to think about, particularly those that are at the most senior levels in organisations, is the there's kind of three categories that a company or a division, because this, of course, this could be divisional type appointments, three categories that the business can be in. And that's really got to inform who you choose as your candidate. So there's, you're in remediation, you're in optimization, you're in transformation. So of course, when we're in your remediation, we've got some stuff to fix up. We're in trouble. We need to turn around. We need to lift performance. Optimization is, hey, we've got a pretty solid business here. We're good. We need to get to great. So we've got the usual run-of-the-mill kind of stuff. And of course, transformation is, hey, we're Jenny Craig and we have read the tea leaves and we need to now change our complete business model because we're going to go out of business. And who you appoint to those roles as the CEO or those key C-suite leadership positions is absolutely going to depend on what stage your business is at or what method it's in. So if you're in remediation mode, you need a turnaround. Ideally, you want someone who can hit the ground running, get in, really understand the business, start working to turn it around. And frankly, it would be a very brave board that would say, let's give someone who's developing an untried and untested person this gig. And you just wouldn't. It just does not make sense to do that. So the glass cliff flies in the face of really good succession planning and advancement of talent into key roles, particularly C-suite roles. So the glass cliff, it's problematic because I don't think it's setting the individual up for success. I've talked about Theresa May and now I want to talk about the most recent, what I think is a glass cliff appointment is the appointment of the latest Twitter CEO, a woman. And I actually did post something on the weekend on, on social media saying, is this a glass cliff appointment? Because, wowee, what were they thinking? The person who's come in, very credentialed, you know, great, very good track record and what have but not necessarily the next, oh, I wouldn't say the next Elon Musk, but hasn't got the track record of a Zuckerberg or someone else who's set up a platform like this. And and of course, Twitter is in most certainly in remediation mode. So it's problematic, Mel, because it really does fly in the face of that wisdom around who gets what job at the right time. And of course, you know, when you've got a company in remediation mode, we also know that that CEO, that turnaround specialist may also be quite deliberately a short-term appointment, get that person in, get it stabilised, remediate the business performance, then bring in the growth CEO or the development CEO or whatever it may be. But So it's problematic because it just doesn't make sense based on the wisdom of how we make appointments for where the company's at. Well, let's talk about women listening to this. So if a woman believes that she's finding herself in an appointment like this, what would you recommend? Because, you know, as I've read in some of the literature, a lot of women see this as, well, this is my opportunity. I wouldn't get a chance to 
do this kind of leadership otherwise. So what do we do with that? Yeah, well, I think you've got to ask yourself at the evaluation part of any role is, am I being set up for success or am I being set up to fail? And I can certainly recall an appointment of my own, which was quite openly referred to as a crucible role, i.e. you're either going to make it or you're not. And had I known what I know now, I, I wouldn't have perhaps taken the role. So when women are undertaking their due diligence for a role, they need to be thinking, who will I be surrounded with from a talent, from a process, from a tools, from a technology, stakeholders? Has the board got my back? There's a bunch of due diligence to say, it's okay to go in and be a turnaround specialist. I'm okay with that. I mean, I'm a fixer. I love it too. But will I have all of the tools in my toolbox to make this happen? Or will this epic failure because it's already going to fail. As you said, it's a dumpster fire already and it's it cannot be remediated. It cannot be revived. Or will this be my leadership legacy? She was one that couldn't turn around Twitter. Oh, she was the one who couldn't get England out of Brexit. So this has potential long-term impacts on your brand, your reputation, and of course, your employability beyond that. So I want women and no matter whether it's a CEO role, whether it's your first leadership role, that first step onto the management ladder, we've got to ask really good questions about am I being set up for success? And of course, we need to know what success is. So what does Mm. success look like in the first three months, six months, 12 months? What are my deliverables? And let's get really clear about that because, you know, if I was to say, look at Twitter okay, um, I'm Linda and I've just taken on Twitter. What do I need to do? What is going to really appease my board, other stakeholders, the general public, the Twitter community, who we're not overly impressed at the last 12 months, I've got to tell you. What has she got to do to say, hey, I've got this and I'm going to do this? How will we measure her performance? How will she measure her performance and then be able to talk about the outcomes she's delivering? Because other than that, I'll do my best. Well, your best might not be the general public's best. It might not be the board's best. So we've got to be really clear and really, really ask those questions about what does Mm. success look like. Let's kind of go on a little side meandering here. This is a, a strategy learning moment. So we all know the headlines around Elon coming in, laying off a bunch of people and In doing that, that's a way to kind of shake up the way the financials look for your investors, make it look better than it was because you've taken all of these people off the the payroll and giving them benefits, etc. But that's temporary, like that happens. And then after that, then what do you do to get your business into a place where it's, it's actually on the right track? So Just curious, Michelle, so what do you see as steps that can happen for the benefit of the company after they've made a move like that to just cut more than, didn't they cut more than half of their workers? Oh, a shockingly high number. And we saw a number of immediate ramifications across the platform in terms of quality and, and, and in fact, in some areas, compliance. So as a result, so that's a big hole to inherit. So the very first thing is, well, who are we now? So we've got to, she's, she's got to go back to the strategy table. And of course, strategy starts with 
So what is Twitter now? Who are we? What's our mission? What do we stand for? What's the longer term, the midterm and the nearer term goals and outcomes? But, you know, gaining universal or a shared understanding of what Twitter stands for and what they're there to deliver is going to be job number one because unless that is done, we're going to have a, a set of very different stakeholders with different expectations about what Twitter is here to do. The job of a CEO, there are always competing demands. You've got demands of shareholders, of regulators, of other stakeholders, users, you know, customers, and of course your people and everything in between. So creating a a unified view of what the mission is, the way we're going to act, you know, our behaviours, our values, and then how are we going to get there? So what are our strategy pillars? What are we going to do? Are we going to lift revenue? <laughs> Don't know if there's much more cost to cut, but anyway, we're going to lift revenue. How are we going to do that? Increase customer satisfaction. We're going to grow our subscribers. And of course, Twitter has lost eons and eons of paid advertising as well as you know the infamous blue tick folk, yada, yada, yada. So she has to really reset the strategy for Twitter and then execute on that strategy and I'm sorry I shouldn't keep saying she is Linda Yaccarino so Linda Yaccarino has got she's got a big job to do to create a unified view of what the long the mid and the short-term deliverables are going to be for Twitter and that's what she's got to do straight away so it's back to the strategy table well sending good luck to Linda <laughs> absolutely absolutely and would it be a job I'd take? Absolutely not, even if I did have the qualifications, which I do not. Mel, I want to come back to one of the questions you asked earlier. Should I take this job because it might be my only chance? It will not be your only mm, chance. Yeah. If you are a talented, credible, competent woman, you will have other chances. If it feels, as I say, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. So if it's a dud, it's a dud. Mm. And if you can't hand on heart feel reassured that the hiring managers, the hiring folk can reassure you and provide evidence that you're being set up for success and that you have the autonomy to turn this organisation around. It sounds like a glass cliff to me and I, mm. would, I would not take it, quite simply. The reputational stuff is one thing, but the immediate, the pain of being in a glass cliff role, no matter what our job is, we want to do the right thing. We want to do a good job. We want to achieve success and we kind of want to have some fun doing it. And if that's not going to happen, why would you do it? Find somewhere else that can give you that. And I want to be clear, we're not making predictions here on where Twitter is going to go from here. Linda could turn it around. So Absolutely. We're going to see what happens. Michelle, I want to tell you something that I've thought about as I've read some different articles about the glass cliff, and I want to get your take on this. When I've read about some of these situations, you mentioned this idea of, are you being set up for failure with a glass cliff role? And I guess one of the things that concerns me about it, this could be unfounded, is this idea that if a lot of women who are getting these high level leadership positions are also getting glass cliff positions, if they fail in such a role where they've inherited something that's really messy, can that do more harm 
to women's advancement more generally kind of reinforcing old stereotypes about women's ability to step up and lead in a word yes and I have heard things well we you know we gave it a go once and she didn't do very well and you know this is the flip side of she's not ready yet because you know you hear oh Mel for the president's nah she's not ready yet well okay so what have we done about that so what's our role in that what did we do to enable? What did we do to lift? What did we do to to make sure that Mel was successful? Now, what we've done by putting her into this crucible or this glass cliff role is then reinforce, well, women can't cut it anyway. See, we tried and she can't cut it anyway. So, dear listeners, I want you to think really critically the next time you hear any kind of remark about a woman's success or otherwise, any person, but a woman particularly, think really critically. What were the conditions that she was appointed into the role? What were those conditions? Was it fair? Because the other thing is, you know, this is why we always say quotas are a blunt instrument. You just don't put any woman, you just don't put any person into a leadership role. You're very thoughtful about it. Was she ready? Did she have the right mentors and coaches and people around her was she given every opportunity to be successful so before you say now well you know she wasn't very good let's have a look at the conditions that she was in and as I always say if a flower doesn't bloom you don't look at the flower you look at the environment that it's planted in so was the environment setting her up for success And if you can't hand on heart answer yes, well, then we have to say, actually, I think we've just made a gendered, very gendered assumption about women's abilities to lead. So, yes, this is another another outcome, another poor outcome about glass cliff appointments. It reinforces gendered stereotypes that men lead and women are not really cut out for leadership. Mm. Okay. Which, of course, is bunkum. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for that, Michelle. Is there anything else on the glass cliff topic that you want to cover today? Let's go back to the the key takeouts here. When you're looking at a role, will I be set up for success? And that due diligence is so, so important, folks. So look at the role, look at the condition, the business conditions, look at the support, make sure you understand what success is going to look like for all your stakeholders, your boss and your boss's boss, the board, whomever it may be in those timeframes that I've talked about, three months, six months, 12 months. So really do that due diligence. And if it feels wobbly, it probably is, but get advice. This is where your strategic mentors, those who are well-connected in the business community can say, oh, actually, Mel, I know that there's some stuff going on at Twitter. It's probably not the right role for you. Wait, you are good. You will get the right role. Don't take this one just because it's there. So due diligence, get advice. If you're unsure, get that advice from the people who know. And I guess the third bit is to the people who are putting women into glass cliff roles, stop doing it. Yeah, check your your biases here. And that's something that we're going to talk about on a future episode. I've got a topic, another topic for us around the semantics of sort of the world of bias, right? I want to talk on a future episode about distinguishing sexual harassment, sexism, gender bias, how these things show up in the workplace. Oh, I'm going to look forward to that one because that's that's my DNA. Talking about that stuff, I love it. 
well, I don't love it. I enjoy pulling it apart so people can, we can all be better yeah, humans. Absolutely. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So my last call out here today is women listening. If you haven't already joined us inside the Lead to Soar network, we would love to see you in there. We'd love to have you there to offer you support. And also so you can be part of giving support to this community of women that is advancing together. You have great knowledge and experience that can support someone else. And we have this growing, thriving community of women who virtually come together and support one another. So we want to see you in, in the network. You can go to leadtosoar.com and click on network. And of course, you can reach out to Michelle or myself if you've got any questions. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.